and you're listening to a WNBA State of Mind, the sports podcast for women about things that matter to us and more. So come join us on your podcast platform. excited to be on your show. I mean, if people know, have known that we've been trying to get together and collaborate for the last past yeah. year, so, you know, I'm absolutely elated about it because anytime I can do a collaboration with a WNBA state of mind and get it out there, uh, yeah. it's just a, it's just fantastic. And like I said, I appreciate the opportunity to, to come on and sit and talk with you and chop it up, talk about basketball, talk about all things basketball, talk about the community and whatever else we decide we want to kick it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit a, a few minutes ago <laughs> uh, about um, a large brand like Nike, and I want to get to that later, but I, I like to go usually, unless you really are passionate and want to talk about that first, but I like to talk chronologically because I like to give people an idea about how strong black women especially came to be, uh, especially in our era, uh, such amazing representations when it was hard to do that. Um, yeah. Society. So you, uh, you grew up on the East Coast in the '60s and the '70s, right? And there was a lot of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. And so, how aware were you of JFK, MLK, Malcolm X? Mm-hmm. You know, the riots in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And and were you the same person back then? It just hadn't come out yet. Well, I mean, I was actually too young to even be aware. I wasn't born. Yeah. Uh, when you know Martin Luther King, you know JFK. 
uh, actually the riots over in Newark, you know, all of those things were be before me and I was, you know, still itty bitty. Um, I didn't come into consciousness until, you know, the late, you know, late 70s when I was, you know, uh, you know, 12 and 13 years old, you know. Um, yeah. uh, I graduated um, from high school in, in, seven, in, in 1980, so um, I'm still a very, very, very young girl, um, but uh, it was my grandmother's story that actually inspired me. Who was born in, born in 1928 in Culpeper, Virginia, in the foothills of West Virginia, and she 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 fled that area when she was 14 years old and came up here to Bayonne, and that's where she created her family. And um, she she went back and she got all three of her brothers and sisters and brought them up here. And I don't even have to go wow. into why and, and all of those things. So, you know, the grinds was happening before I even, I was even thought about, I was even a thought. My, my, my family was, 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 was a part of the struggle, uh, being, being from the South. And so, you know, my grandmother ran away from the South and, and uh, you know, and always made us go back every single year. And then I ended up going to Old Dominion University because what she hated about Virginia, I, I, I in turn ended up loving you know, about Virginia, and, you know, but I went down there during a time where things were totally different, and I'm not saying that we've completely overcome, but it definitely wasn't 1928, and so, you know, um, just being from this area, you know, so diversified, and I got the opportunity at a young age to be able to, uh, to, to mingle with all different types of people. Bayonne is a melting pot. You have black, you have white, you have Italian, you got Polish, you got Russian, you got Puerto Rican, you got Dominican, you got Cuban, you got, you, you, you have Egyptians, you have, you know, so it's just, it's just basically Asians, you know, are uh, um, starting to, you know, to migrate to this area as well. And so before all of that happened, I mean, when I would go and over to my friend's house, most of their, most of their families were not speaking English in the home. So if you went, if I went to my, to my, to my, to my Puerto Rican friend's house, they weren't, their, their parents and their grand, grandparents were speaking Spanish. You know, when I went over to my, my Italian friend's house, their parents and their grandparents were speaking Italian. Okay. And then, you know, I had a lot of Jewish friends and then there was Hebrew and then, you know, the Egyptians. So then wow. there's, there's, there's all kinds of different languages. So I already knew how to mingle with other people you know, before I even left Bayonne. So I, I love the fact that, you know, I was born in an area that, you know, really promoted uh, diversity. You know, little little China is real, little Italy right. is real. You know, uh, going over and just, you know, living across from Staten Island, I can actually walk, walk on the Bayonne Bridge over to Staten Island and be in New York. So um, the only thing that separates us from being New York is, is the Bay. Right. Man, that's amazing. Uh, you stay in touch with them, all of them, well, the ones that are still, hopefully they're all around and you're real close friends growing up, like you, you guys gather back together and talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with my, with, with Old Dominion University. I wouldn't say that in Bayonne, but uh, right. at Old Dominion University, uh, we, we, unfortunately, we lost Medina Dixon, uh, yeah. you know, last year, the pancreatic cancer. I was going to wear her, wear her, uh, her, her shirt today. Her sweatshirt today, but it was so hot. I just like I'm, I'm just gonna throw it up like a gang sign. But um, you know, we we that was tough for us, and you know we we all got together. We we zoomed for the last two years. I actually missed the girls. We zoomed for the last two years to 
to be a part of her life and you know help her transition into to the next journey which is all which is where all of us are going to eventually end up and she was such a great leader on the basketball court um and the way she led us into heaven was even 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 more incredible just fearless and and um, just always smiling and constantly just keeping us up because she knew how how tough it was on us yeah yeah rest in peace yes yeah. Oh man, I, I, I doubt so, very seriously that she's resting. Okay, <laughs> being in, you know, on Earth as it is in Heaven. So, uh, right. you know, she she's not that type of person. Like a lot, a lot of people yeah. go, they go R.I.P. Or I, I don't believe in that R. Boy, I promise you, because uh, I, I don't think it's just that you just stop. You know, we're energy, we're energy, and we cannot be destroyed. Right. Absolutely, I love that. So before you met her and, and all your teammates and your amazing coaches, like, did you play with boys? Like, yeah. you know, how did you, did you play all sports and then you just, yeah. you know, fell in love with basketball? Like, yeah. I'm always curious about that part of it because we've got a lot of people come on the show that have had horrible high school experiences. Yeah. And look, let's be honest, in that time frame, you know, as a black woman, you know, it, women in general, it wasn't encouraged to play sports. Title IX was sort of right around the corner, yeah. you know, yeah. and it just started. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I had, it's funny that you mentioned that women weren't encouraged to play, play sports because I used to get, I used to get tormented on the block, you know, tomboy, from tomboy to Tommy to, you know, you're not going to, you know, there's nothing for you. I even had a seventh, my, my, my principal at, uh, at, at Robinson, at Dr. Walter F. Robinson, number 31 up there on 31st Street, uh, number three, excuse me. Uh, he told my mom, pulled my mother to the side and asked her why is she let me play basketball because there's nothing, there's not going to be anything for me. And the day that uh, me and my mom were walking up the block uh, when I was playing, uh, when, I, when I was already grown and I'm playing overseas and we're walking towards him, and he sang my praises, knowing what he had told my mother back then. And me and my mom, after we walked away, man, we just looked at each other and started laughing. It's like, wow, eat your words. But I can promise you, I did not play with, I did not play with girls. Um, it was, I was just too good. And, and I couldn't, like, I couldn't even, even in elementary school, they got mad at me. The coaches got mad at me because I wouldn't play on an elementary school because it was, I was just so beyond that level. But my first love was swimming. I thought that I was going wow. to be a, a yeah. I could. I, I sometimes I often think about what that would have looked like because I, you know, to this day I can chop it up in the water. But that was my first love, and you know, of course we ran track. I played softball, uh, but it was when I put the basketball in my hand that I that I knew that this was going to be something that was going to carry me. It was a part. It was like my like as soon as I touched it, I felt it in my soul in a way that I never felt with any other sport, even to uh, making a pop on a football team. My mother. My mom forbid me. She was like, no. And I was like, mom, why can't I play? She's like, you're getting ready to get your boobs. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, you know, it was <laughs> it was over for the football, the whole football thing, because they had no equipment for, for women whatsoever. But I did make the Packers. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that was it for me. But the basketball, I, I knew that when I touched it, it was a soul. It was a soul's mission. And it just took me everywhere. It, it, Wow, and no, I didn't play with the girls. If I had to play with the girls, then I probably wouldn't have been as good as I was. And uh, you know, I was. There's a there's a famous writer, uh, God bless his soul, uh, who wrote his his name was The Fa, 
here in uh, in New Jersey, and he wrote for St. Anthony's. He's real big on the Hurleys, and you know he put me on the all boys county team. I made the wow. first team, yeah, all county boys team. You can look that up, and so uh, which was absolutely amazing to me. I never really talk about it a lot, but you know my game was up. My game was up, and, and Hudson County is a, is, a, is is a, is a great area to come out during my time for basketball. You know, with us and St. Anthony's and. You know, all of the schools, the powerhouses, Holy Family from back in the day, uh, Paramus Catholic, those 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 areas, you know, with Ann Donovan, she, she was before me, but, you know, there's Carol Blazjowski, all these people, Sharon Ross, uh, uh, just that, that, that paved the way for me. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible just to sort of hear, you know, your evolution and, and uh, you know, you obviously were born with an inner resiliency. Because there's a lot of people that have a passion, and it's either not encouraged, or they're not strong enough to say, well, F the world, I'm going to play because I love it, mm-hmm. and they go in a different direction, and, you know, whatever, they have a regret later that they didn't follow through, but you certainly have both. Yes. Not only a passion for something, but an inner resiliency that probably came from your grandmother and, and oh, others. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. My grandmother, my right? mother. Yeah. God bless my Aunt Roz, lost her in the pandemic two years ago. Uh, My Uncle Skip taught me how to play basketball, sitting around on the basketball court on 20th Street watching Elaine Carroll play against the guys and tear them up. And so she was my motivation. Um, Just the, the list goes on and on of people that I was inspired by. And it wasn't that I was envious. It was like, how can I take a piece of each person? And there weren't a lot of lot of female role models out there to watch. Okay, right. so I had to watch the guys. You know, I'm 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 watching players like Dr. Dr. Dre because he was right there in Philadelphia. He also played for the Nets. Then I was also watching Adrian Dantley, uh, who I also thought was a fantastic player. You know, of course to Michael Jordan, to you know, and the list goes on and on to Charles Barkley's, to to my mentor Moses Malone. Uh, God bless his soul as well. We lost a lot of powerful people uh, that I watched play that were fantastic. You know, all going all the way back to St. John's and Chris Mullen busting it up over there at St. John's. So, like, we had a lot of Earl of Pearl. Like, just, yeah. we had just, just the area, the mecca of basketball was right here, with, you know, in the tri-state area, New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. And, that, you know, and, and in those areas, you can find a lot of top, a lot of top schools. Man, that's incredible. And, and who else was recruiting you besides ODU? Oh my God! Did gosh. you consider anyone else? Who wasn't? I, I, I sat and, <laughs> and I'm not even bragging. I'm not even bragging, you know, because um, you know I'm humble like that. But like there was so my mom showed me the boxes of letters uh, recently, and like just 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 thousands upon thousands of schools, you know, all the way to like an Appalachian state, like just like from the top to the bottom, you know. Um, schools that I, you know, you just typically think you would be interested in. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to go to Tennessee. The, the, the day that, the day uh, that my mom punished me when I was 12 years old, short story, I don't even remember where I was going. Okay. She punishes me and I'm just like, mom, you got to let me out, let me outside. She's like, no, it's raining outside. As a matter of fact, go in there and watch the basketball game, women's basketball game. I was like, what? I'm 12 years old. I'm like, mom, there's no women's basketball. Yes, there is. Go in there and look on TV. Thank God she punished me. Because I go in there and I'm watching Old Dominion University against Tennessee. 
And it's Ann Donovan, Ing Nissen, Nancy Lieberman, okay, Angela Cotman, and that whole crew against all the only person I remember from, from Tennessee was Big O. Okay, and she was she was the big name, big household name back then. All Dominion wins. I come in the kitchen, I sit down at the table, I said, Ma, I'm going to Old Dominion University. She looked at me and Adrian, get out. Seven years later, I'm fine. Not even that. I was 16, 16, four years later, I'm signing the letter of intent to go to Old Dominion wow. University. I like Old Dominion. I liked USC. Notre Dame, believe it or not, was wow. high on high on my list of priorities. But I, I just didn't. I didn't. I didn't go there because I felt like they were telling me what classes I needed to take and where, what direction I was supposed to go in. And I so I so that 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 was a wrap. Iowa, okay, um, and uh, that's when uh, that's when Vivian Stringer just went out there. She had left Cheney State and went out there to Iowa. Um, I said USC, um, South Carolina was big on me. Georgia was big on me. Um, I pissed off uh, Teresa Grants. I didn't go to Rutgers. I pissed off. <laughs> I pissed off. <laughs> You know, I pissed off Pat Head. I didn't even give her an interview. Um, and so, Pat Head, I didn't even give her an interview. So, it was, you know, I, I just had my choice of the school that I wanted to go to. There was a lot of them. My mom made me break it down. I, she said, listen, all of these schools, you're going to go from 100 to 50 to, to, to 25 to 10 to 5 to the top four, and then we go. So I had to do that. So there was a, so that made it an easy process of elimination because a lot of stuff like went to the wayside. I thought I was throwing it in the garbage. My mom was collecting it so that I can now appreciate it at this day and age, um, all, the, all the schools that were actually there. And I'm going to sit down with that box and, and, and look at it and, and put, you know, maybe even send a thank you note to all those schools for even recognizing me. But I promise you, uh, it, was a, it was a long journey. Uh, but my family was always there. And my family was always, they was the strongest portion of me, you know, driving me, my driving force. You know, and I was leading the way to go to college. And, you know, I just, you know, my family is very small as far as the Goodsons were concerned that were in Bayonne, but we're many in other places. And so, you know, my nucleus was very tight, you know, my, with my grandmother and my, and my, and my, and my mom and, and her kids, they, they just they kept me wrapped tight and they protected me. And uh, they protected my ideas and my dreams and my aspirations. And that's why I went far. Oh, man, I love stories like that. I mean, you know, and you don't hear about that many. And, you know, we have Sylvia Crawley on and she won a national championship, obviously, at North Carolina. So talk about, you know, when you got on campus, you know, did you have this goal, like, and get with your teammates, like, look, we're about to, we're about to do this thing, you know, or did it slowly develop, and you're like, you know, we actually may have some pieces to, to do this thing, like, what was that national championship run like, like, I can't, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> like, I can't even imagine, yeah, that was, it was a crazy run, but first of all, first and foremost, it didn't start when I got on campus, okay, Wendy Lally came to my house, Coach, Coach Stanley came to my house, and told me that I was the missing link to a national championship. So that right there started the whole, you know, how, how it was supposed to play out because, you know, your words define you, you know, and God said, and God said, and God said, and then there it was. So anything that you speak <laughs> becomes you. That's why you have to be careful what you speak over your life. And so before I even got in 
the it, it got on the plane to go to Norfolk, Virginia, the stage was already set. And so when I get there, you know, I meet my teammates and we start practicing and you know we we had we were good. We were good. First of all, we had our leaders with Medina Dixon and Tracy Talaxman. You know, for anybody that's out there watching, you're listening to a WNBA State of Mind in collaboration with Sports Deli. Go do your homework on those two people. They were the top. Tracy Claxton had the rebounding record for a very, very long time in the NCAA. I don't know who broke it. It might have been Yolanda Griffith, and then after that it happened, then it went down. But she had 19 boards. And, you know, uh, so, it, you know, I had these great players, but it didn't start off like like it was great. We were rocky. You know, we had all of these personalities. That's why I asked. We had yeah. all of these personalities. New Jersey, Boston, New Haven, Chicago, D.C., okay, clashing of the minds. You got the top city, hardest cities that I just named out, okay, and those minds weren't meeting at first. To a point where Marianne Stanley was smart enough to go out and get a therapist named Lynn Siegel. Wow. From the Hope House Foundation in Norfolk. I give him a shout out. And she came and she did ropes and initiative with us. All kinds of trust games with us. Wow. Okay. Personality games with us. So that we could learn each other's personality. Just filling out the, filling out the little circles. And then we all coming back. And saying, okay, this is who I am. I'm an I'm a extrovert introvert, or I'm an introvert extrovert, or, you know, I'm just a loner, period. I'm quiet. So don't misinterpret my quietness. Don't think that I'm angry because I'm quiet. That's my presentation. That's how I am. But if you don't do your homework and you don't get to the right. very essence of that, our two captains were arguing. They hated each other. Once Lynn brought us together, we were great. We were so great that we won a national championship with nine, with eight physical bodies. Eight physical bodies. Okay? One girl left, had to, Lynn, Lynn, Liz, Liz Conahan could not play because she had to, she was having kidney failure. She had to have a, had to have a kidney removed. Okay? Then we had two, three players leave that year. We were practicing with a guy named Frank from upstairs in sports information, coming down and practicing with us every day so we could scrimmage. We had two, we had two, a couple of players that were that came, that graduated already. Angela Cotton came back and would practice with us so we could have 10 physical bodies to practice. So we were getting it in. It was a rocky road in the beginning, but she had us, we bought so much into her philosophy that we couldn't fail. We played a defense called Junk and won the national championship. And I didn't find out until later that it was a nappy triangle in two. Right. But we bought into it. We were scrappy. We were scrambling. We got right. a six foot two, two female, a six foot three female with a wingspan, which made her probably be about six eight. Medina Dixon at the top of our one three one. I'm in the back. I'm a freshman. I'm doing what I'm told. Right. Back and forth. You know, so we were a fantastic team. When I went into the school, I didn't start. But I'd say three games into the season, four games into the <laughs> season, <laughs> I was starting as a freshman. So that speaks for itself. Yes, it does. Uh, you mentioned uh, Marianne. Uh, Stanley until recently, you know, she was, you know, coaching in the WNBA. 
What was her? I mean, you just talked about. I mean, I find that amazing in the '80s that somebody was doing a personality test <laughs> and bringing a therapist in. I mean, because back then, you know, I mean, even if you talk to people like Val Whiting, who I mentioned earlier, who went to Stanford, you know, even Tara, you know, a lot of these old school coaches, and I'm sure others, you know, rest in peace, Pat Summit, you know, even Gino. I'm sure they did things in a way that was, you know, shut up and dribble. Just do as I say, you know, get over it, move, you know, no excuses. And she was a little bit more thoughtful in that way. And uh, not only were you the missing piece to the puzzle, uh, but she, you know, sort of inserted a lot of missing pieces to the puzzle by getting people to turn what may be perceived as weaknesses into strengths. And I find that fascinating. And, and do you do you do that with your teams now? Like you incorporate, you know, what may be perceived as, you know, a weakness as, hey, you have more things in common than you think. So let's come together, you know, and prove everybody wrong. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing is to get the kids to buy into your philosophy. Nice. The second thing is, yes, you have to talk. You have to communicate. Not just on the court, but on the court. The things that you do together. We go out, you know, we have pizza, come over to the house, everybody sit and watch a movie, laugh and talk. Talk about right. the deepest, darkest things. No hold bar, no holds barred. Let's talk about the pandemic and what happened. What happened to you? What happened to maybe some of your family members? What happened to some of your friends? With these kids out here nowadays, suicide is an option. It's a viable option. So I try to stay on top of the kids, you know, and even even to the men on the professional side, women on the professional side, give me an opportunity every single year to do the top 100 camp for, you know, with the MBPA and, and ushering these guys into the pros and them seeing me fit to come in every single year and influence and mentor some of these kids and to get the opportunity to be around them. this year. They, they incorporated that type of program into uh, the camp where we did breakout sessions and allowed the, allowed the boys to just sit and we talked and chopped it up and we talked about everything that happened the last two years. And after we did that, they started to understand a little while. Man, I didn't know that happened to you. I didn't know this was going on. I didn't know you thought that way. I misinterpreted you the whole time. And then once you have those breakout sessions and you give people the opportunity to peel off some of that, peel off some of the mess, peel off life, you know, it just opens it up. And then you'll see how they will start to become better within themselves and also together. Now, all of a sudden, they're sharing the ball more because I care about you. There's a difference between a team that cares about each other and a team that's just over here trying to get personal accolades. Oh, man, if that last part didn't resonate with me more than anything that you've said so far, because I talk about that all the time. When I, as a professional basketball skills trainer, I'm not just teaching counter moves. I'm teaching them how to look at somebody, and with your eyes, you better be looking at them and speaking to them as if you love them and care about them more than you love yourself, because otherwise they will feel it in the same way that they will know that you truly care about the greater good and you care about them. Yes. And so there's a lot of nuance that, you know, maybe a lot of people that are first starting out or young coaches, they don't understand 
some of these nuances, and you have to teach these kids to care and love, yes, about themselves, but they got to care about their teammates, at least when they're out on the floor, yes. and the greater good, otherwise you will not, like you said, get the best versions of themselves, and yes. then collectively you will not get the best version of the team. There's just no way. I, I'm sorry, chemistry chemistry matters, and that's how you get over the hump sometimes, like with what happened to you at ODU. Mm -hmm. You weren't just the missing piece, but a coach did something, several things, that allowed the team to come together to, you know, show that the sum of the parts are greater than the parts themselves. Man, that is freaking phenomenal. Yeah, and Marianne Stanley is a brilliant mind. Um, very misinterpreted, but uh, she's a brilliant mind, a, a masterful coach. But she's not one of those coaches that you can put in a box. You gotta allow for her to pick a, to pick her team. You gotta allow for her to use her tactics. Okay. I met my godmother the other day, Kathy Rush, and I said to her, I said, "Listen, I never understood Coach Stanley's tactics until I watched I, I watched the movie. Okay." I never understood the tactics. And then once I, I watched the movie that they made about Kathy Rush, about Immaculata, Teresa Grants, all those other players, and the things that she did to make them mentally tough. And I understood more. And that was I think that was the first movie I actually cried. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Why? What part of it resonated with you? Just the... the sorority of sisters, the, the, the camaraderie, like what spoke to you? Like, did it remind you of your family? Like, Just all of the tactics that she used, it reminded me of Old Dominion, it was all of the tactics that she used to get wow. them, to get the best out of them, you know, practicing without balls, doing defensive slides in a, in a tunnel, under the water, under the... Like, it's just weird. Like, and I used to call my mom and be like, Ma, she made us, we were practicing without basketballs. Like, I don't get this woman, you know? So then my free throws were up because I'm sitting there and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing my, my, my whole ritual. Boom. Put my head down. Take my three dribbles. Spin the ball. You know, do whatever ritual it was I was doing all the way up. Boom. And I'm doing that a hundred times without a basketball. Okay? I'm dribbling. We're doing basketball drills without the ball up and down the court. Between or the legs, dribbling. all the way down no the dribbling. court with no, no ball. Drills. So right. it was no all use your imagination. Too, right? She was always about your imagination. Use your imagination. You have to see it. Right. And so when I watched, you know, Kathy Rush doing the same thing with her, then I knew I was a part of a bigger plan than I could ever imagine. So how did you leverage that? Uh, obviously, phenomenal player, but um, did you bring people together once you got to the ABL and WNBA uh, and see your leadership style change from when you were a freshman at ODU to now playing professional? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, my my play brought leadership. But I didn't want people to, to come to me or be around me because of the skills that I had. I wanted them to be around me because I was a good person, because I showed them good things. I, t I you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't that type of teammate that would, that, that it would sit well with me if my teammates were being mistreated. 
you know, and I'm getting everything because I'm scoring 20, and then they're not getting anything. I, I was fighting for them too. So um, in the ABL, we didn't have we didn't have a player committee, but in the WNBA right. they did, and I ended up being the on uh, the the the, the um, on the player committee uh, because one of my teammates got traded from Utah, and she was uh, she was she was on the player committee, so they needed another person. So Pamela Willow was like, "Goody, you're always so active and stuff." This would be great for you. So that's what I did. Anytime wow. any anything came from the league, I passed it out. You know, sat down and talked with the girls. If something needed to be filled out, I collected it all, sent it back to the league, different things like that um, to, to, to make sure that we were getting the things that we needed, you know, on the players association side. And so then I was on, then I, 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 I got elected to be on the player committee, which is you get elected. And so, right. you know, the thing that I take pride in is when people elect you into positions. So you don't just get elected there because you're an idiot. You know, you don't get elected right. there because you're not a good person. Um, or you don't get elected there because you don't have wisdom or people don't trust you. So I wore that crown. You know, the, the 2002 collective bargaining agreement was established by us, which we fought for so many different things. You know, we were only getting 50% of our money, maternity leave. Okay? Right. There was no, like, the, the pay for the veterans was minimal. We raised the bar for that, you know, got the got it to, to 60K, you know. Um, and then you started to see vet, vets disappear because teams cho- chose the option of bringing in, you know, younger players and, you know, not taking up right. so much of that salary cap. And so, you know, it was kind of like a, a gift and a curse. And right. uh, we fought for a lot of different things. That year we almost had a lockdown because we, we couldn't sign off on, you know, all of the things that, you know, we, we, we wanted, right. you know. We were fighting for every single thing that they are yeah. fighting for still now. And, um, you know, I really, really honestly and truly believe that the former, the, the, the current players really have to start uh, putting in the collective bargaining things for former players because eventually you're going to be one. So right now you're wallowing around, you're making your money, but when it stops, it stops abruptly. And you're going to understand what I'm talking about when you become a former player. So I think that um, there's still a lot of things that need to change. Like I, I won the Community Assist Award two years in a row, man. And uh, that was very important to me outside of the, the, the all-star the, the all-star, and, and outside of the player of the weeks that I got and outside of all of the accolades that I got. You know, being in that league, top, top, top 10 in scoring for the first three years in the league, it wasn't even an all-star. It wasn't even an all-star uh, team then. Right. So, like, winning the Community Assist Award was so important because I love to get out there in the community and help. You know, right. how can I help somebody uh, become a better person? How can I help them in their career? How can I help them get out of a situation that they may be in? You know, be a bridge to a gap. And so, you know, when you win the Community Assist Award, it means that you went out and you did over 100 appearances. So in San Antonio, I did over 100 appearances. When I was in Utah, I did over 100 appearances. So the groundwork that I laid, you know, for that league in Salt Lake City, you know, in San Antonio was absolutely fantastic. And you want to see some of that come back. 